Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. They need a simple majority, 50 plus one. They need 51. Kamala Harris can break a tie if it's 50-50. So as long as he picks someone, he said by the end of February he's going to pick someone. As long as he picks someone, they hold the confirmation hearings and they hold the vote before the November elections, before Democrats could well lose control of the Senate, he will get his pick. Now, the the caveat I'll put in there, and anyone who watches politics knows this, is that there are two senators, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, Arizona and West Virginia. Hi, Jesse. Who um, have... The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's just tremendous when the dog does that and someone on a phone line says He doesn't break stride. It's just so good. (laughs) So good. So let me tell you what happens if you have cold weather a lot. Then when it's not quite as cold as it used to be, you think it's much warmer than it is. I was just outside with the dog. It was 23 degrees. It felt to me like I could wear shorts (laughs) because I was used to 12 in the morning, 12 to 15 in the morning. For those of you who care about D.C. weather... Excuse me. We had a very minor snowfall on Friday into Saturday, maybe two inches, um, nothing consequential whatsoever, nothing consequential, deep freeze. So it's still there, but nothing consequential. My daughter in Linwood, New Jersey, near Atlantic City, got 19 inches, Oof, 19 inches. Okay, the beach, 130 miles from here, due east. Rehoboth Beach got 12 to 14 inches. Lewis got 14 inches. Lewis, Delaware. Boston got two feet. They're saying, hold my Sam Adams. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm the mayor here. Um, New York City, five or six. Nothing, relatively speaking. Nothing. So that's your local weather. I I mean, it's not your local weather. It's my local weather. Not your local weather. By the way, you see it's going to get up in the upper 50s or mid to upper 50s this week? It's going to rain on Thursday. (laughs) Right. And be around 50. But there's something you're tracking over the weekend. Yes. Friday into Saturday. Big snow and ice storm coming our way. And our our, our apps have competing opinions on this. Coming our way. Let me read this. Uh, I got this from Tom Whittington. Mr. Tony, longtime loyal little first-time caller or emailer. I was touched by your reminiscences of Ronnie Spector with Gene last week, being of that certain age. I was sent back to August 1966 when the Ronettes opened for the Beatles at D.C. Stadium. They earned this coveted slot despite being absent from the top 40 charts for two years, an eternity for the jet age 60s. They had retained their popularity in England, especially from admiring musicians. I recall their frequent appearances on the English-produced weekly music roundup Shindig, usually performing one of their classic hits. When in the late 60s, Brian Wilson feared he had lost his muse, he retreated to his bedroom from his living room sandbox and played Be My Baby incessantly, determined to mine the secrets of this great record. This drove his wife to seek serious help for him, who turned out to be Dr. Eugene Landy, I add parenthetically. This scene is recreated in the wonderful biopic, and I endorse that adjective, Love and Mercy. Let me recommend to you the Ronettes' last single, I Wish I Never Saw the Sunshine, a terrific Barry Greenwich ballad with Ronnie's most soulful performance and woefully neglected at the time. While I have your attention, I would like to point out an issue regarding Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? When you learn from people... It's always good. I have said to you that that is the greatest teenage lyric for girls ever written, and I assumed it was written by Carole King, since it's her song. What Tom Whittington points out is this. Carole King composed the music while Jerry Goffin wrote the lyrics, so it must be regarded as significant art that a 20-year-old man was able to project the heart of a teenage girl so poetically. In the liner notes to Goffin and King's song collection, and I'm unaware of that, he relates the story behind the magic. Quote, I had a Marine Corps Reserves meeting that night. When I got home around 9 o'clock, there was a melody on a Naroko tape recorder and this note on the piano. Donnie Kirshner needs this. I think it's a good melody for the Shirelles. Please write. I'm playing Mahjong with my mother. That's from Carol King. (laughs) So I listened to the tape and loved the melody. The words came right away. Unquote. You may want to check out Carol King's recent induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on HBO for a heartfelt appreciation of her lyricist Jerry Goffin and Tony Stern and Taylor Swift's welcome speech and rendition of Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. I'll hang up and listen. So that's really nice to know. What did I want to begin with? The football was great for the second week in a row. The only downside was there were only two games. Yeah. Two games that go down to the wire, one in overtime, one basically in overtime. Two great games producing... Uh, a big surprise in Cincinnati to me. Um, I can't say I'm surprised by the Rams, but I think you'll remember if you watch PTI that I said this on Friday. If I were a betting man, I'd take San Francisco in the three and a half, but I'm going to stay with the Rams to win. So I had that perfect. 
had that one perfect. I did not have Cincinnati. Carville did. Yep. Carville had both dogs, and Carville had an over and an under. Carville went three and one. He's within sniffing range of Mount 500, but he's going to need to win the game and a prop bet to get to Mount 500. Chuck Todd went 0-2, but he saved Jeff Ma, went 3-1, and extending his lead over Chuck Todd. And the monkey was even. The monkey went 1-1. One one. We will talk with Wilbon about the football. I just wanted to mention this. The Saturday golf, I don't know if anybody watched it. In the Northeast, of course, it's freezing cold. So you retreat to the sanctity and warmth of your house, and maybe if you have a fireplace, you build a fire, and then you watch the golf. The golf did a very smart thing. The golf tour did a very smart thing. Rather than challenge the NFL on Sunday, which is a lose-lose, and CBS has a game on Sunday, so they shifted the golf tournament final to Saturday. And it was contested by two people who many of you will never even have heard of. You won't have heard of them. Luke List, a 37-year-old journeyman golfer who'd never won a tournament before, and Will Zalatoris, a young kid, is going to be real good if he ever learns to putt. Strikes the ball very well. It comes down to a circumstance where Luke List posts a score and has to wait two hours, Michael? About two hours. Standing around, hitting driver. Hitting driver on the range, right? Uh, wedges mostly. Yeah, he's, the range is closed. He's on an actual <laughs> tee oh, hitting towards the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't... Beautiful he, sunset. Yeah, he doesn't know. That's, what, that's, that's why people go there. Um, he doesn't know if, if he's going to make it. Zalatoris has got a par five on number 18 to go, and they're tied. And, 18, you know, second easiest hole of the week. And this is a lot, of, a lot of birdies. Though it's a U.S. Open course, this is not the U.S. Open finisher. So you do expect to see a lot of birdies closing it out. Yeah. I mean, List himself birdied 18. So he's got to figure that Zalatoris has a chance. And, in fact, Zalatoris has a seven- or eight-foot putt. Straight putt. It's in. Even Nance goes, Zalatoris! And it doesn't go in. Has to play in a playoff because <laughs> Nance is so ready to, to give it to him. He's ready and doesn't go in. They go play 18. There's another um, errant call on 18 by whoever was doing the announcing when Rom, right? Was it who? Was it Rom coming down 18? No, 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 no. No, the, who did the announcing on 18 on the playoff hole? I, I don't know who, who's okay. doing the call. I thought you were talking about something in regulation. No, no, it. no. So. So whoever is doing the call on the drive, somebody out in the fairway, James, he killed it right down the middle. It lands in a sand trap. <laughs> it doesn't really go down the middle. That's List's ball. Zaltoris' ball lands, and this is not an exaggeration, two inches in the same tram, sand trap, right? Two inches? Yeah. Two inches away. Scorecard away. They both knock it out into the fairway, and they both have wedges in. List goes first. He hits the greatest shot he will ever hit in his entire life. There's nothing he will do ever in his life that will equal this because it gave him the victory. He hits it to a foot and a half, right? Uh, might even be closer, closer than a foot and a half. It doesn't really have to mark. He does mark, but you get to say, I'll finish. Yeah. He finishes the hole. Zaltoris hits a good shot to eight or nine feet. Pretty much the same putt that he just missed. He missed it again by a wider margin. Moving now, if you're a sports quickly. columnist, the column is Zalatoris. It's not list. The column is Zal Torres because he had it on his racket twice. Speaking of rackets, we will get to the, to the tennis in a little bit. He had it on his racket twice, on 18 twice. It was going to be the last hole. It was dark. The sun had set. It was dark. On television, it doesn't look dark. It's dark. So if you don't win there, and this happened, and I have some intimate knowledge of this. When Adam Scott won the Masters, they were on the last hole that they could have played. They would have had to come back in the morning. Had they come back in the morning, I would not have been able to have played Augusta on the press lottery. Wouldn't and you'd still be it. trying to turn on the shower. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I wouldn't have known how to do it. So I know what it's like when somebody says this is it. And Zalatoris missed. And it was, you know, it's not a memorable tournament unless you watch it. It's not a memorable tournament unless someday Luke uh, Zalatoris, is it Will Zalatoris? Will right? Zalatoris. Becomes the number one player in the world, which might. 
if he learns to putt because he can really hit it. But that was fun to watch. Gave so I got I got to piggyback off of this for yeah. you because to me the issue is that's that's the column if you are a writer and trying yeah. to put something out into the print world. Yeah, that's, to me that's what I did. Right, right. But Zalatoris uh, <clears throat> he makes only pars in the back nine. To me that that he quickly moves away from the story. And you look at Luke, Luke List and the visual is him hitting balls, not knowing what his future is, that's knowing right. that is out of his out of his hand, off his club face for those two hours. And then you get the beautiful shot on eighteen with his wife, his little girl. His two kids. And the, 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 the cleverness to hit the appropriate shot from a bad lie, he's in a half-buried lie in the bunker, and to hit the soft wedge that hits the perfect spot on the knob where it can slowly roll down. down the hill rather than Zalatoris who tries to hammer a wedge. So he sort of lost it before he even gets to those two putts. Uh, but the best part about this as you sync it up with Sunday is Zalatoris, who famously got the, the, the nickname about looking like Happy Gilmore's caddy. Oh, when you sync that up to Shooter McPherson, <laughs> I was if, if he had missed that field goal, I thought it'd be perfect if Nance goes Zalator. <laughs> he hasn't missed a field goal perfect in the playoffs. I think he's eleven for eleven or twelve for twelve. He's Hall of Fame. Earning those kisses from Burroughs. <clears throat> this kid is going to the Hall of Fame. One other thing. If you watched the television yesterday, the first game, I wouldn't watch Halo if you paid me a thousand dollars per yours. minute. Not, not on your What radar. a piece of junk that looks like. <laughs> What an obvious check off all the boxes as to who's going to be in this movie. What junk Halo must. Am I wrong? You you probably will like it. It's like junk. I enjoy science fiction stuff. I've never played the game Halo. I think the people that play it will probably be very excited for it. Didn't do much. CBS teased that trailer yeah. like crazy. Yeah. Didn't really move the needle for me as well. Junk. Just junk. I did like John Hamm, though. And John Hamm stuff is good. I just like Nance teasing the halftime show for the Super Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, I guess all the, a lot of big stars. Yeah, Snoop's going to be there, I think. Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and all of that. Yeah. You know, the Super Bowl halftime shows, eh? It's eh. It's eh. Uh, Tom Brady's retiring. I guess we'll have to talk about that. Well, you know. The, the only thing I'll say about Tom Brady is this. He's the greatest of all time. Um, he's retiring, if indeed he retires, and everyone thinks he's retiring because he hasn't. If you're not going to retire, you come out and you say, I'm playing next year. He hasn't said that. And anything short of that means he's retiring. He's retiring off a year where he completed more passes for more yards and more touchdowns than anybody in football at age 44. Not, not anybody ever at age 44. Anybody now. 21, 22, 25, 30, 35. Now. He had a great year. He's going to finish second or third in the MVP voting. And he's walking away. you got to ask yourself why. Why would he be walking away now? And the only thing I can think of, and people will say, oh, it's his family. And athletes don't pay attention to their families. It's nonsense. They don't. He probably thinks, I don't want to get hurt. There's something wrong with me. I feel something's wrong with me. I'm not going to do this again. I'm done right now. That's total speculation on my part. In the same way that I looked at Patrick Mahomes in the second half yesterday, and I said, he must be hurt. What is this? He just went from great to terrible to terrible how did that happen? Well, I don't know. We'll take a break. Maybe Michael Wilbon can explain it to us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X chair read. From the moment you sit in an X chair, your body will immediately say, ah, so this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or as those of us in the know call it the old DVL, <laughs> your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons to love the X-Chair. Try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. And once you realize how much better your chair should be in the words of Eddie Murphy, you'll never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chair, T-O-N-Y dot com, or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtony.com. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm going to read this. It's from Michael W. Kendrick in Rancho Cordova, California. He said, when my son was 15 years old, he exhorted me 
to watch a show on ESPN called Pardon the Interruption. He said there was an old guy on the show I would love because he was a curmudgeon like me. Never mind that I was 55 at the time. I'm now 68, and that kid owns two houses, a Mercedes, and a Cadillac. He obviously made several wise decisions since teenage, but none in my mind as wise as turning me on to PTI. In the last year, I've begrudgingly taken to listening to podcasts, and again, that curmudgeon guy has my favorite. I've sent you a couple of songs with permission from the artist, who is from a city that I think is vastly underrated when it comes to music and musicians. Birmingham, Alabama. Please enjoy the works of Bob Marston. This is called A Story, and it's for Wilbon. And you don't expect to hear somebody singing in Spanish from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm sorry you don't. <laughs> so that's interesting and novel. And Wilbon joins us now. And let me just set this up by saying that it was 21, it was either 14 to 3 or 21 to 3 in the Kansas City game when I left Wilbon a voice message that just said, I'd said this. I said, Mahomes is the best. Yeah, Brady's great. Brady's the greatest of all time. Rodgers may be the best quarterback at any moment, but Mahomes is the best. And he's been the best for four years. And, Mike, at that point, I honestly believed that Kansas City was going to win by 35 points. And I have no idea what happened in the second half, none, zero, that Mahomes went from great to cannot throw the ball. I don't know what happened. Do you? No, but, but that's football. I mean, you can get hit yeah. in a way that the rest of us don't know that can short-circuit you. Um, the other team can figure out something, play harder. Your own arrogance can undo you. I mean, all these things are possible and combinations of all of them. And so, yes, at 21-3, I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I posted something on, on, on my uh, Instagram account saying I thought the final score was going to be something like 38-10. I posted that before the game. That was, my, that was my pick for the game score. So, obviously, <laughs> I didn't know what the heck was going on either, Tony. Um, but... You know, Kansas City's got something. They got something that where they're not they're not the the, the overpowering machine that they they are, but then they lose it. And so they, that's why there's still a dynasty of one one championship. And by the way, you can look higher than Mahomes for this because 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 Andy Reid has won one. That's right. He's one, as great a coach as he is. He's won one. This is the notes that I wrote down. Here's a note I was going to ask you. Andy Reid is underrated, right? Because he only won one Super Bowl. I'm not asking that now. Because let me just say this. And I'm not the most critical guy in the world of coaching decisions. Not kicking the field goal with five right. seconds to go at the end of the first half. The first Your half, word, yeah. my word, arrogance beyond belief. What yes. are you doing? No, no, well, no! Tim you don't, you don't give it to Mahomes. No, you don't do that. You kick that field goal to make it twenty-four-three, don't you, Mike? I do. You do. I do. That, again, I do. Tony. I this do. is, you know, this is what, this is what is happening now in pro football with every coach, um, or not every, wow. but most, the vast majority of them, right? And Andy wow. Reid's been. Andy Reid has had this, this thing. It's a shortcoming. It's a flaw. For years, for decades, he's had this, and so you know when he did when that didn't go right at halftime, I'm like, uh oh, and you wow. know obviously turnover and, and 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 Cincinnati got some confidence from that, and God knows they don't need they don't need much, they don't need much help. You talk about arrogant, now it's working for them right now. Yes, but they are unbelievably arrogant, and it 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 it, it looks cool for them, but who knows. If they, Andy Reid's gotten all the way to these games and lost with both Philly and Kansas City. So it uh, is. It, it, they not only was it a terrible call at the end of the first half, but Mahomes at the end of the second half was floundering, was getting yes, was. sacked, was not getting outside, was not <laughs> delivering the ball in a straight. I I wondered was he hurt? I well, mean, he could have been. been. Tony, it's football. Right. Is that about right. hurt? He could have been hit in the head. You get hit in the head. Even on time, right. I'm talking about a head-to-head -head hit where they penalize it and replay it 42 times. It's football. You get hit. And so, because Tony, he was holding on to the ball so long and dancing around like he was Muhammad yes. Ali. Yes. Yes. And you're like, dude, throw the damn ball, dude. In, the, so in the first half, it worked. So he cocky. threw it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And meanwhile... Yeah. 
On the other side, and I've loved Burrow since he was in college, and I've told you all last year, before he got hurt, he's going to be great. Told you all this year he's yeah. going to be great. Burrow made two plays with his legs that you didn't yeah. think he could make because he was sacked nine yeah. times last week. He got two first downs in a row. He's good. Yard runs, yeah. He's but good. You know, Tony, that he's good. <laughs> he's good. Mahomes is good. They're great. But, you know, they can be – all of them can be had – they're not Brady. They're no. not even Elway or Montana. Um, and, the, you know, it was, it was very entertaining because it was flawed, I thought. Um, and then late in the game, Mahomes, Mahomes played to me like we're going to hear something today that, say, that says he got hit in the head and, and right before halftime and they didn't put him in protocol. But he just seemed to, he just seemed to short circuit. Yeah, I mean, on and the last drive, he hit a, a few good passes, but then, then they didn't even get to the end zone. They didn't even try to get to – Well, first of all, I don't it was know. dependent on him. They, they looked like yeah. they did during the regular season often. you got players out there. Utilize them. This isn't, this isn't golf. You're not to be Tiger. But I, I just think that Kansas City, they, they just sort of, you know, every now and then read their own stuff, and they, they get crazy. Well, you're right, and I'm crazy, wrong, because another note I took, I was ready to say to you, Wilbon, you say there's no great team. Kansas City just won 12 out of 13, mm-hmm. except they didn't. Mm-hmm. Except they yeah. didn't in, in the game yeah. to get to the Super Bowl. I can I, brag I, I, about I can, the other team. I had the other I team. Can, I had them in March. Dine off of, well, yeah, you, you had to. I could dine off Dynasty of one for March. another year. And by yes, the way, you when, do you don't win, when you don't win, and, and, and I know they won one, when you, don't, you become yeah. Buffalo, you know? Or you become the Vikings, or you become, you know, when you don't win, when you right. don't close it out and win it. Because now they got to deal with questions all year about, well, how come you guys can't close? You get to this point and you short circuit because it's true. Yeah. So I, Let me go to the other side. Narrative with Kansas City. <clears throat> I'm going to remind you of something. The day that Brady announced he was going to Tampa Bay, I told you they were going to win the Super Bowl, and you laughed at me on television. And then a year later, the day that Stafford was traded to the Rams. I thought the Rams. I I don't remember. You laughed at me on the Rams. I I remember saying to you about the Rams, they're not even going to win their division. That's right. You said Arizona would win it. By the way, and that instinct should have been right. That's right. Except they're not even Kansas City. They're not. They they can't even play to that level. So so, and I could see that coming because when they were when they were like eight and one, you said to me, "Oh, you look great." I go, "No, no." Because they're going to implode because they're not smart enough. And that's their flaw in, in, in Arizona, among others. But yeah, Well, the Rams, you, the Rams are smart enough. I mean, McVeigh, he didn't beat some donkey. He beat Kyle no. Shanahan, who had owned him. I mean, you know, well, these are two pretty good coaches. Yeah, but Kyle Shanahan has, a, Kyle Shanahan has to coach around a donkey. That's right, Garoppolo. That's right. <laughs> he can't, he, he's playing with the worst deck in America because that guy you, 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 to run Kyle Shanahan's stuff, you need somebody who's cerebral enough and then can execute it and oh my god, I wouldn't want him he can't, he can't be a starting quarterback because everybody's got him figured out what they have to do to him he can only throw one pass directly over the middle when he tries to do anything else he's done, he can't play it's like oh my god Kyle Shanahan is Vince Lombardi having to coach around that dude. And don't worry, he won't do it next year. Trey Lance <laughs> no, will be the starter next not year. A snap. There's not a snap he will take in San Francisco. There's zero chance. No, he's going somewhere. Because if you're Kyle I, I Shanahan and you're Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel's crying because he knows they were great. The 49ers were set up this year to win. They were great, and they got to play around. They can't trust the quarterback. Look, I know how that goes. I know how that goes where I live and the team I follow, but the, but they don't. The Bears don't even have a quarterback usually who's good enough to get you a tease. I mean, Jay Cutler was, and maybe Rex Grossman was too. Um, but oh my God, this guy, Jimmy G, he's awful. What did you think about you know again Cooper Cup open and open and open and open? I mean, he's really good. Yeah, but he he he, he dropped one. <laughs> he could have caught yep. the game. Um, and he and the kid from Northwestern via Notre Dame, um, Skoranek. Um, no, it wasn't Skoranek who dropped that. Who, somebody dropped. Somebody was turned around or spun around the wrong way. 
But the 49ers, they, 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 to be fair, it wasn't just a quarterback. I mean, they dropped a pick that, that changes the game. Probably yes. that pick yes. may give them a win. Yes. And so I, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of that. That was, that game was fascinating, but flawed as well, which basically speaks to the whole NFL season to me. Um, and that's why there's no great team out there. I mean, a worthy team is going to win the Super Bowl in two weeks. But great team? Nah, I don't, I don't see that. What do you make? Yeah, and I agree with you that there is no great team. I thought that the team with a chance to be great, two teams I thought had a chance. I thought Green Bay had a chance, and I thought Tampa Bay had a chance. Tampa Bay got a lot of injuries, and Green Bay, Rogers just blew it. Um, that should never have happened. So I look at a Super Bowl where Cincinnati, I mean – Cincinnati, really? Really? Yeah. We've seen Cincinnati. You and I have both seen Cincinnati lose the both times they ever went to the Super Bowl, both times to yep. San Francisco. One time, Boomer Esiason was about 40 seconds away That's from right. gold. And then um, Montana yeah. to Taylor, and that was see you yeah. around. Um, so do you like Cincinnati? I can't bring myself to no. like Cincinnati, but I don't like the Rams enough to say that they can close them out. And oh, I didn't say they'd win like the Super them. Bowl. I mean, I'll, it's yeah. hard not to like Cincinnati now. Cincinnati, no, but I mean to yeah, win like as a team. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I mean, they're one of only two teams left. I, you know, I, That's they, right. That's right. I mean, and they, there's a boldness about them. There's a, there's a complete – I was trying to go over yesterday with Matthew as we watched the difference between cocky and arrogant. And at, at 13, you don't necessarily understand that. He says, Dad, why are they arrogant? I, I was, you know, why do you call them arrogant? And I, I said, man, I'm saying that with a great, it's, it's a compliment for coming from me in the context in which I, I mean it and say it now. But, yeah, I mean, I, what the hell? It looks like, I mean, if you're, if you're writing the narrative, Cincinnati seems like they're going to be the one you look back on and talk about the championship season that was and the team that used to practice under the expressway and, hmm. and Joe yeah. Burrow coming off knee surgery and and Jamar Chase, a guy that people said, well, he can't play at this level, and and you know, they got people, they got people who fit a narrative. If you want to write that, and you know, that may be written. We'll see. Both these teams are worthy of this season being changed. I don't have, yeah, I could, yeah, I could see either one. I don't have. How can you, how can you look at Cincinnati after these last couple of weeks and say, eh, they're not good enough? No, they are good enough. They are. The Rams may be better, and McVay may be better. Um, I, I, you know, for me, watching Matt Stafford, I mean, he's he's done everything you could ask. And again, I'm, I've been watching Matt Stafford all his career. It, Detroit didn't, you know, Matt Stafford didn't just appear on our radar for people who live in the Midwest. We 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 have a sense of Matt Stafford, which ain't this, but good for him, good for him to to, to rise to the challenge in the moment of playing damn near championship football or being on the way to doing that. They're the Yankees. They're the Yankees. They went out, and it's the the great title, the best team money could buy. They spared no expenses. They don't have a draft pick till 3,000. They got nothing. They they, they (laughs) don't wait wait around for a draft pick. They're not worried about player development. Nope. You know, they're going for This is just what the Yankees did. Yankees would snatch a player from another team. Yankees... You don't have a farm yeah. system. So what? We have money. Right? That's what they did. That, that's, that's what they did. And uh, so, you know, I, those, both those teams, they, I'm not, I don't see one being a whole lot better than the other. Um, you know, I will say, did, did this, you know, I, I know that most people, 90% of people don't feel the way I feel about this. But I, I'm going to mention it. it the, the season is just too long. It's just too long. It's like enough. Enough. You know, and most people just want to go with more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to, let's go to 22 games. They're going to go to 18. They're, they're definitely going to go to 18. Gonna go to 18. They, yeah, they're going to go to that in probably two years. Um, yeah, I think and, so. You know, the games have been so entertaining, it justifies whatever they want uh, in the NFL and, and the people, the sycophants who just will, want to have football no matter what. But it's like, okay, yeah, these games are great. I wonder what toll they're going to take on people's bodies. What's it going to look like um, when we get to next, you know, September, uh, with people with taking these hits, these shots, another game of it, then another two games of it. I don't know, Tom. 
I, I'm, I'm, the season, there's two more weeks. Talk about the same stuff. There's only one game. Uh, and, yeah, I, know, I hate when they separate this weeks, by a week. You know, there's two weeks. I hate this. I just hate it. I've always hated it. Yeah, I hate it. I do. Um, I don't care about the Pro Bowls nonsense. Just play this game next week. Play it next week. I hate when college football waits six weeks. I hate it. Just play it. Hate it. Yeah, it's not the wait for me. It's like it should have been. It should be wrapping up already. Should have been wrapped up. But at least you go into it with, you know, you go into it with 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 games that were fabulously played again. They really were. Last two weekends have been great. All right, I'll talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. When we come back, Liz Clark will join us, and she will talk at length, I hope, about how you cover a tennis tournament from your house at 2 in the morning. (laughs) I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Freshly ad. Food that's fast doesn't have to be fast food. Freshly offers quality meals without the hard work. Their meals are designed by nutritionists, cooked by chefs, and then delivered fresh. So you're not cooking. You're heating. You're not cooking. Other meal deliveries need to be prepped and cooked, but Freshly is ready to eat in three minutes. No one wants to spend an hour cooking dinner after a rough day at work or an infuriating commute. It's the first time we've used the word infuriating in any of these ads. I like that word. (laughs) At the end of a long day, takeout doesn't have to be your only option for an easy dinner. Whether it's for you or your whole family, Freshly gives you convenience, flavor, and nutrition. Get delicious, chef-made, nutrient-packed meals delivered straight to your door. No cooking required. Fresh, never frozen, ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes. Use the Freshly website or app to find meals that fit your lifestyle with plans that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. So what, what they're saying is we got a lot to choose from. And in fact, the next line reads like this. Choose from over 50 nutritionist design entrees, like their classic steak peppercorn, which I've had and I liked. Multi-serve sides like their masterful mac and cheese. Who doesn't like mac and cheese? Or their new line of plant-based meals. Skip the grocery shopping. Skip the dirty dishes. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week. New meals are added weekly, so you are never stuck eating the same thing over and over. Stop stressing about dinner. Right now, Freshly is offering listeners to this high-quality podcast $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash Tony K. That's $40 off at Freshly.com slash Tony K. Don't be a dope. Use the code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time from Birmingham, Alabama. This is Bob Marston. This is a song called She Drinks Whiskey plays in Liz Clark. Michael, if people like Bob Marston or their friends want to send in original music with permission for us to play it, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. It's a great title for a song, She Drinks Whiskey. Isn't it great? Reminds me of Big Nose Kate. <laughs> right. Which, the whiskey which I've already finished. Yes. Liz Clark joins us now, and let me set this scene. Um, Liz Clark has often in her life covered Wimbledon, and she has in her life covered the French Open and, of course, covered the U.S. Open, but probably never the Australian Open. The Australian Open is the least of the four majors. It's the furthest away. It's the beginning of the year. It falls in the middle of football. It doesn't get a big run. But if you like tennis, you want to know what's going on. And Liz Clark covered the Australian Open for the Washington Post from her home which is fine. A lot of people are doing that now. The Olympics are going to be covered by NBC from Connecticut, not from Beijing. So I'm not knocking that, but I want to get to the details of it because the Australian time is so much different from East Coast American time. And these larger matches, semifinals and finals, began at 3.30 in the morning, my time and your time. Explain to us, explain to everybody listening how you set your schedule, when you got up, what it looked like, how you took your notes, when you wrote your stories. Well, I'm so glad we're talking tennis. I'm sure people would rather hear about Nadal than Liz Clark, but I, I well, will we'll get take to a that. crack at this. We'll but it was abject psychotic misery for me, <laughs> almost going back three weeks, um, because I had to start keeping somewhat of the Australian time zone, which is 16 hours ahead. It could hardly be worse. Um, from the Djokovic saga on, I mean, we had a great news person there writing the court news, the live news, but I needed to be on top of what it meant for the tournament. Um, 
And, you know, as Rafa would say, I am not 21 anymore. So um, I, I was, uh, and, and, you know, the logic would be, will you just sleep in the day and reverse your clock? But you can't just sleep in the day if you have a dog who has his own schedule and he wants the right. two walks and the phone rings and there are other beats you have to keep track of in the day. So um, it's like when it got down to the semis and finals, it was a merciful blessing. It seemed almost easy. You know, for a 3.30 match, I'd get up about 2, 2.30 to be uh-huh. sure I did all my homework to have it fresh in my head Um you know, all the themes I wanted to hit, all the stats that may or may not be relevant. You know, you, it's like you prepare for your, each interview with these big legal pads. So I would do that so it was fresh in my head. And, um, you know, so yesterday got up at 2 for Rafa's match that started the men's final that started at 3.30. I think it ended about 8.39. I had to file a story like within three minutes. So it was ready to go. Filed that boom. Um, before they even did the on-court stuff. And then you wait. Although you cover it watching the broadcast, you do get credentialed as a reporter to take part in the post-match interviews. So all the interviews you join in via Zoom, and the athletes are there, and they take questions from the room, and then they take questions from Zoom. So you, you have that access that um, – and it was maybe two hours before both interviews were done and then rewrite. So I think I finished the day about two in the afternoon. So that would have been a 12-hour day. And it was very hard to, you know. Anyway, I'm still kind of messed up sleep-wise. But, oh, boy, you know, I would not have missed one minute of it. And um, and and Rena Dahl, I I was up for his matches, which early on I had to watch by a reporter's feed on my laptop, because I thought it was quite possible he would lose in the first round or second round. There were so many questions about his foot. You know, he really hadn't competed of consequence for five months, so I knew that when he lost, I needed to write, even though it was early. You know, men's history won't be made. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. So so I was monitoring his matches in particular. Um, from the early on and then certainly from the epic quarterfinal on um, live, whatever the time was. So you're watching Australia from Washington, D.C., and John and Patrick McEnroe are watching Australia from Bristol, Connecticut. Right. Everybody's watching from somewhere. Did right. you have anyone in Australia? Did you have a go-to person in Australia that you talk to on a regular basis, probably a daily basis, who helped you with writing the tennis tournament in the way that you would have that if you were there, that we've all done no, that. No, no. I mean, we did. again, we had a great news reporter there throughout the Djokovic, uh, you know, 11-day twist right. and turns. Um, and I right. read him assiduously. I never called him and, and asked him, oh, paint me a scene. Um, but I read pretty much every word about the tournament in the Australian press, um, in the British press, um, you know, a few other r- reporters who I knew were there, I, I would follow them closely. Um, yeah. So. so if you were getting up around two and you were working a 12-hour day, when did you sleep? Did you sleep? You know, did you go to bed tacky. at 9 or 10 at I night? I don't think I slept more than a two-hour stretch for maybe two weeks. Um, you know, so just Ooh. as it was possible, sometimes on the couch. Sometimes it just, you know, every time I tried to actually go to bed in the day, the phone would ring or a text or something just like, you know, life happens in the day. And um, right. this isn't it's it's not as easy when a, a an editor says, now go get some sleep, which I so appreciated. But, you know, that's harder to do. It was sort of like being on a red eye for three weeks. You know, like, did you sleep or did you yeah, not? It's I, not real sleep. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I did. You know, I mean, I did sometimes in there, but I, yeah, I felt like I was on a plane for maybe three weeks. Yeah. I have to tell you this, that, that um, when the Ashley Barty, we'll get to Nadal. I just want to, yeah. Ash Barty is the best player in the world, best woman player in the world. Oh, yeah. And you could say, well, what about Serena? Well, Serena's not playing. Ash Barty Correct. is the best player in the world. And she beat four straight Americans to do something that hadn't been done in 44 years, which is an Australian woman winning the Australian Open. And when I heard about this a few days ago before her match, and I said, well, who was the Australian woman? 
thinking, of course, it had to be Von Gulligan mm-hmm. Cauley. And I was told it was Chris O'Neill. I had the same reaction that Wilbon had, the exact same reaction. Who is that? Mm-hmm. I was covering tennis then. Yeah. I don't know who that is, Chris yes. O'Neill. Do yes. you know who that is? No, nor do I. But I will say two things. So Ash Barty was actually the first Australian period to win in 44 years. The, the, the previous man won it two years prior. So she, first Australian intergender. Okay. Chris O'Neill, I'm like, who? Um, and I, I should have looked this up. I didn't have occasion to write it. But I do know that for a stretch in the 70s, um, Chris Everett, went several years not competing in the Australian Open and, and, and a few others because they were instead supporting the launch of World Team Tennis, which I know you remember mm-hmm. was a, a big initiative. And so, and they, at least at that time, if, if my, uh, I don't want to say memory serves, but my research serves, that was a choice you had to make. Like, you know, the calendar, you, you did one or the other. So when we talk about Chris and Martinez 18 slams, which is pretty amazing, um, in the what-if world, you know, they should have, would have, could have had more if they competed at every Australian Open as regularly as they competed at U.S. Right. Open, Wimbledon, the French. A lot so, of people didn't go. Margaret Court won O'Neal, all those I, matches. I'm guessing that was yeah. one of the years that they weren't in the yeah. field. I'm Makes guessing. Because I had never heard of her. She beat Betsy Nagelson in the final, which has to be mm. the only final Betsy Nagelson ever got to. So, yeah, that, what you're saying makes perfect sense, and I hadn't thought of that. Let me get to Nadal. Yes. And let me just put it this way, because I know how much you love Nadal. Uh. I believe that this particular win for Rafael Nadal, being down two sets to love, playing a younger, higher-seeded player, playing on a surface that is not his best surface at all, I believe it's the greatest win of his career. That's just yeah. me saying that. You follow this a lot more closely than I. What do you say to that question? Yeah, I think you hit every salient point. If, if we were in a bar and we were arguing about this, I would say yes, yeah. yes, and yes. Um, he called it, and he is the most humble, impossibly humble person, athlete I've ever covered. Um, he did call it the greatest comeback of his career, and I think he would probably say the greatest match, but I know I think it was the greatest victory of his career um, yeah. and for, for those three reasons. Yeah, and I, I could say more, but I, yeah, those are the key ones. Absolutely. So, And Medvedev is really good. Oh, Medvedev was about to become yeah. the first person ever to win his first major and then back it up by winning the next major. That's never been done in men's tennis, which amazed me. Amazed, amazed me to me learn too. that. I didn't know that. Med- yeah, Medvedev's yeah. really good. And Nadal was spectacular. The third point in the last game, the ace, it's the last thing on earth you expect. you know. And then he's got three championship points. I don't think Medvedev gagged, but maybe you do. No, I no, I don't think he gagged. Okay. No, no, I okay. think he expended every single thing he had physically, uh, mentally. Uh, I think his, you know, his comportment, his sort of mentally losing it after shutting out the crowd's animus for so long and letting it enter his head and the drawing with the ref and. Um, I think that undercut him, you know, that's on him. Um, but no, I don't think, I don't think it was, it was a victory earned on a gag. I, I think that right. was the absolute best uh, Medvedev had. And that was pretty damn amazing. You know, what, what he showed, what he showed. Do you think he will win more majors? Do you look at him oh, yeah. and say, yes, he is a player who's going to win a bunch? Because that leads me into something. Oh, how yeah. happy I, I, am, I am and I'm how happy skeptical. most people are. Yeah, no, I'm skeptical that Medvedev will ever win the French. Um, equally skeptical that he'll ever win Wimbledon. But I could see him winning a couple more hardcourt slams. Although, you know, he, he began his press conference with a very meandering opus that was kind of hard for me to connect the dots on. I mean, it was lucid. I just, it was one of those long stories you don't know where is this going. Um, but his point he was trying to make is that 
the crowd's hostility toward him destroyed something in his heart about his love of being a professional tennis player to the point that he wasn't sure he would be competing much after maybe age 30. Yeah, and I don't know if that was emotion of the moment. Um, Yeah, it was... It, it, so it's again. It was like this seven-minute anecdote, and that, that I'm trying to distill that was not quite clear. But you know, it, what somebody says after a five and a half hour, you know, beat down on both sides, I, I don't really hold them to it. You know, that's. No. But um, but I no, I I think his hardcore game is is you know one of the two best in the world at the moment, and that Djokovic is the other, and we just saw uh, in September him destroy Djokovic on a hard court. I mean, that beating at the U.S. Open in straight sets, it took my breath. And, yeah, Djokovic had played a lot of tennis, um, but he is brutal on a hard court. Uh, And so, yeah, I could no, I I don't think he's going to stop at one slam. Let me thank you for mentioning Djokovic. I don't Mm. like Djokovic. Everybody who listens knows I don't like Djokovic. I am cheered by the result here. Um, I was rooting for Federer a couple of years ago when he had a match on his racket, I think, at Wimbledon, and he lost it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know that. I thought Nadal would would lose this match. But the fact that he won and has 21 separates himself from Djokovic and Federer and makes Djokovic have to win two more. Have to win two more in order to Mm -hmm. claim... Everything. I don't think Federer is going to win anything else. And mm-hmm. maybe Nadal will win the French, though it will not surprise me if this is the last one he ever mm-hmm. wins. And, mm-hmm. it, and he's got now at least two, Wimbledon and Australia yeah. and U.S. Open, to, to, to balance out the 47 he's got <laughs> on clay. But I'm cheered by this because yeah. I don't like Djokovic. I don't think that's a sentiment... That is unpopular among tennis people, my sentiment, or is it? No, I mean, it's, I think people who, whose job it is to t- cover tennis and, and really understand it as best they can and, you know, cover it without favor, have absolute respect for Djokovic as an athlete, as a tennis player, as a champion, for the way he competes, the weapons he has, the versatility, the offense, defense, the movement. I mean, you can only bow down, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, he's, you know, there's, there's less unanimity on, he's, on finding him easy to cheer um, and, and easy to rationalize or ignore or compartmentalize some of his really regrettable, combustible outbursts. Um, you know, the one that got him DQ'd from the U.S. Open, the, the display at the Olympics. I mean, for those of whom greatest champion bleeds into comportment, behavior, sportsmanship, that, that's a bigger, bigger thing to swallow. But he is much watch. You know, tennis, for sure. Right. And, and really, I can only bow down at what he does with his racket and his body. Um, there, I think, like all tennis players, he's, he's, he excels on some surfaces more than others. I don't particularly like to watch him uh, on clay, um, but uh, he's eye-popping on hard court. Um, so I don't know if that answers. It's such a pleasure to hear you talk. I'm going to tell you what everybody's told you in the last 24 hours. Go get some sleep. <laughs> Just take take a couple of days, get sleep. Thank you, Liz. Oh, I wish. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Liz Clark, boys and girls, we'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
great, the Missouri marching band. I was rooting for Missouri to beat Auburn the other day. They lost by one when Auburn was just named number one in college basketball. Missouri almost beat them. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? We got sandwiches today. Yes, we got the sandwiches today. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Looks like that'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, whoa, in a couple of days, they come and take me away, but the press let the story leak. When a radical priest come to get me released, we was all in the cover of Newsweek. <laughs> Genius. Paul Simon. Genius, kids. Thanks to our guest today. Michael Wilbon and Liz Clark. Thanks to today's sponsors, X-Chair and Freshly. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you got the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. All right, so we got a mixed bag of mailbag things from Howie, Harry Howell in Cleveland. You got the week off to a great start with last Monday's show, killing everything and everyone in sight. First, you ripped Applebee's for usurping the Cheers theme song for its new ad campaign. Then Michael kept the tone up by tearing into the NFL, its coaching, officiating, and most of all, Jimmy Garoppolo. And finally, you administered the coup de grace in your conversation with Liz Clark, eviscerating Novak Djokovic for his behavior, lack of truthfulness, and ultimately his deportation from Australia. Can't get all that on another podcast. Thank you for the entertainment. And tell Michael we got about a foot of snow. From Chris Bansells in Forest Hill, Maryland. I think I'm in need of legal advice. While cleaning up the garage over the holiday weekend, I discovered a milk crate marked Crowley, Binghamton, New York. See attached photo, and there is a photo. And it says, it also says, theft or misuse of this case is, is a crime. Now, neither I nor the woman to whom I'm related by marriage know how this milk crate made it to our garage in Maryland. I'm also not sure what constitutes misuse of a milk crate. Either way, I'm hoping... Either way, I'm hoping uh, you're pulling upstate New York and get me off the hook here. At the very least, can I get Abby's number? This seems significant enough to warrant his attention, don't you think? <laughs> From Steve Vanderwert at Cornell University. While I like WFT, the Washington Rascals has a certain ring to it. Care to name the first four members of the ring of honor? <laughs> Love Cornell. I do. Kurt Johnson in Warland, Wyoming. So you have had football escorts to football stadiums? I've also had a police escort, but it was away from a football stadium and not nearly as enjoyable. Haikus for football escorts, police escorts by Shad. Blaring of sirens, a movable clot of cars, bad police escort. Parting of traffic like Moses in the Red Sea, good police escort. From Joe Bianchino or Bianchino in Latham, New York, upstate. I only have two outlets in my kitchen. Do I need to move? Yes. From Tim in the Midwest. Where do you put the air fryer? I think it's safe to say that all of us littles are asking the same question. How many kitchen outlets does DG have? DG has stopped mailing us. No, I, I think we got one uh, We got one over the weekend. Okay, because I'm looking at other things. From Nate Edwards in Las Vegas, who entitles this, 13 seconds over Kansas City. This was for last week when Kansas City came back to oh, tie right. the game. Yes. Thought I won $110. 13 seconds later, nope. It's like buying Bitcoin. <laughs> One minute you're a millionaire, next minute you're homeless. <laughs> From Rose Flagler. Dear Dr. Professor Grandpa Tony, I'm a fourth-generation Buffalonian, a long time little. I've watched or listened to or been in the room sucking on a baby bottle for almost every Bills game for the last 31 years, and I've also watched PTI religiously since its first aired when I was in middle school. I'm writing in for the first time to say that I respectfully disagree with Wilbon's take that this is the worst loss the Bills ever endured. The loss, don't get me wrong, it hurts, but I would gladly take losing to Patrick Mahomes in OT over the benching of Doug Flutie in favor of Rob Johnson, the Music City Miracle, losing four straight Super Bowls, one in dramatic fashion. My grandmother, who was at Super Bowl 25, thought Norwood's kick went in, two where we got the brakes beaten off us, and one where we endured an epic second-half collapse. We were up 13-6. to six in Super Bowl 38, or almost a 20-year-long playoff drought when everyone from an aging Drew Bledsoe to J.P. Lossman to Kyle Orton was quarterback. Josh Allen is a warrior god. He went 27 for 37 with four passing TDs, two of which came on fourth down. Every time he had the ball in his hands, he did something spectacular. He made the impossible seem possible. To paraphrase the great Marv Levy, there was nowhere else Josh Allen would have rather been than an arrowhead last night, and I can proudly say that he is my quarterback, and he gave us the best shot to win. One can quibble about giving Mahomes too much time or overtime rules or a coin flip, but at the end of the day, we were beat by a warrior god who is further along on the hero's journey. I would gladly take getting beat by a warrior god in the greatest football game I've ever seen than being the laughingstock of the league. With no contracts expiring this offseason, God willing, the Bills will take this loss to heart and with great determination run it back next year and hopefully make it two and win the Super Bowl. Best to you and both TK shows and PTI crews. You've been a steady presence in my life through the last chaotic years. Isn't that nice? That's lovely. From Charlie Burtz, a longtime emailer in Springfield, Virginia. So your cardiologist won't let you shovel snow, but postseason football is allowed. It has been <laughs> something. 
Um, so from Anna Grierson, and we talked about her the other day, that she had won a couple of best sports writers in Vermont. Uh, oh, sure. And I misspoke about the name of her newspaper and where she worked now. She said, in the spirit of journalism, I humbly submit a clarification. My newspaper career was spent at the Times Argus, a small daily in the capital district of Vermont. I've since joined the corporate world at Union Mutual, an insurance company. But I still freelance because you can't shake a love of sports writing that easy, huh? Hence the email from my current work email address. Thank you for reading my email on the air. I hope lots of littles are inspired to join our ranks. From Earl Brewer, the owner and director of Virginia Elite Lacrosse. We've done his emails before. Just wanted to send along a big thank you to you and the gang. Last week, you read my email about a run-in I had with a young punk at Tyson's Corner Mall over a parking spot. Mm -hmm. Since that time, I've heard from friends that I haven't seen or talked to in more than 30 years. So again, big thanks. I even heard from Mike Todd, not that Mike Todd. And we exchanged emails later that day. The connective tissue of the show is truly incredible. And just an update, at the end of last year, you read my email about my wife and I purchasing a new car and that she had expressed an interest in Subaru because both her sisters love them. Well, renew my man card because I squashed that idea like a cockroach and instead bought her a Mazda SUV. You don't have a problem with Mazdas, do you? No, I don't. Not yet. Still no, need the exact location of where they were at Tyson's. <laughs> yeah. I was cruising the mall as Liz went into Ballard last week. From David Garrison Mayo, DGM. I've been using a lousy old desk chair since I started working from home in March 2020. Then six months ago, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I had our first child, a feminine child. Between her need to be bounced constantly and my chair's crappy ergonomics, my back began aching horribly. So I bought an X chair. I told him Tony sent me. The baby still needs bouncing, but my back pain is gone. From Dave Reed in Lexington, Kentucky. I heard Tony comment that eggs should be placed in cold water, and he turned up to start the cooking process. Then the comment that sometimes they peel easily and sometimes not. It is a widely accepted method. It could not be more wrong. For perfect eggs with bright yellow solid centers, which peel easily every time, add eggs to hot water before it begins to boil. I add eggs when steam is coming from the pot. Then turn up the heat. Bring the eggs to a boil and continue a slow rolling boil for 12 Point forty-five seconds. Then immediately add ice to an ice bath to stop the cooking process. Produces perfect, easy peel, hard-boiled eggs. When I cook a dozen, one egg cracks in the process, which I pluck at about eight minutes and eat soft-boiled. But all remaining whole eggs continue for the full cycle. Twelve minutes and forty-five seconds. Not twelve point forty-five. Twelve minutes forty-five seconds. And then peel easily for reasons I cannot explain. Sudden hot water separates the white from the membrane, and after cooling in an ice bath, the shells practically fall off. Try it once, you'll never go back. Works every time. So I forgot this when I was doing hard-boiled <clears throat> eggs last week. I added the eggs to the rolling boil, but I forgot the time, so I had to cut it after a couple minutes and then finish it just to steam them. Still turned out great. They were Easy to peel. How did they peel? They peeled okay? Y yes. Okay. From Todd Reichert in Saskatoon. I did Saskatchewan, crack Saskatchewan, Canada. Long time, first time. I totally agree that Dan Burns a genius. His takes on the podcast topics are simply outstanding. The fact that he turns them around seemingly just days after a subject is discussed is unbelievable. But a song, Rope and a Yardstick, that sort of gave me a David Aldridge moment. The first line is, how do you measure the distance from D.C. to Saskatoon? <laughs> when I heard that line, I immediately sat up and said, I know that place. I live in that place. I have no idea how Dan decided to use my hometown in his song, except that anything ending in tune must be easier to rhyme with. I decided to dive a little deeper into the yardstick idea. It's actually 2,010 miles, according to Google, from D.C. to Saskatoon. That calculates a 3,537,600 yards, just slightly more than 84,500 yards Tom Brady has thrown for in his career. But Brady may not be done yet. Eh, I don't know. However, that distance is just around the corner compared to the 420 million yards it is to the moon that Dan mentions in the second line of his song. Three and a half million yards from D.C., huh? Ask Nigel if he has rope available and is ready to make that trip. I figure that's about one million suits worth of measuring, and he should get here around Thanksgiving if he starts after the Super Bowl. From Tom Kyle in Lexington, Kentucky. You think Cheers theme in Applebee commercials is bad? Yes, I do, I add parenthetically. <laughs> With the selling of Dylan's songwriting rights and now recordings just waiting for Tombstone Blues, that recording to be in a commercial for Tombstone Pizza, closing with I'm in the kitchen with the Tombstone Blues, with some dopey kid being sad when he finds nothing but crumbs and a Tombstone rapper when he's coming home hungry. From Brandon Costello, singer-songwriter and our friend, Lexington, Kentucky. The next time you're exchanging notes with David Sonnenberg, or really anyone rich, powerful, and in the music business, maybe just throw my name out there. I know it's a lot to ask, but I'm cheap. I'm clean, and if it helps, I too am bad at math. From Nick Sharkey in Washington, D.C., Last week, you and Michael were confused about what chatbots are. 
and how they worked. As a self-proclaimed, though still not recognized, official data scientist that Tony Kornheiser show, I figured I'd explain. Chatbots are just a customer service triage service. If you go to a website and there's a chat window, that service is almost certainly powered by a chatbot. There are generally two types, rules-based models and autoregressive language models. The former is pretty easy, basically a bunch of rules like, if the user types this word, then respond with this text. The latter gets back to your old buddy, the GPT-3. These models are trained on actual text to get an idea what an appropriate response would be. When you think about the Terminator and how machines will conquer humans, GPT-3-style models will be what allows them to tell us humans had a good run, but it's their time now. By the way, do I get health benefits as the official data scientist Tony Cornish show? I'll hang up and listen. No, you don't get health benefits, and I don't understand a word you wrote. Do you, Michael? Just right into the chat box. Yeah. Kevin Koval in Lakewood, Ohio. Your commentary about your experience with Chinese food brought back some nostalgia and fond memories. As a former resident of China for three years, I share your exact feelings about the amazing cuisine to be found there, especially with some local guidance. You may remember me as the one who would listen to the podcast and go to my favorite lunch spot in Shanghai and order food with dried fish skins. I'll never forget a local place I was taking near the Great Wall where we could catch a fish in the pond in the front with a net, then be given a piece of lumber to bludgeon the fish and then give it to the staff for it to be cooked for us. It's a sad state to see the state there now. I had these Olympics circled as a possible opportunity to visit again as a tourist. Obviously, that's not happening. But hey, maybe Peloton will have a scenic ride where we can ride bikes on the Great Wall. China has an abysmal current state of affairs and human rights record. But at least they don't let Subaru in to produce locally. Zverluga's donkey is near the donkey ass is near the top of ridiculous menu translations that are out there. You should send Saliza there to make him eat it, literally. P.S. Ask your friend Lebetard if he ever went to China and climbed the Great Wall with Michael Jordan. Yes, that Michael Jordan. Huh? Kevin Koval? Huh? And one more How from Matt Patrick. Fish? Hello, old sport. <laughs> to me, the craziest part of the Novak Djokovic story is the Australian government calling in Barry Manilow to make sure Djokovic made it all the way to the border. <laughs> That is such an inside joke. That's such an inside joke. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But we don't have the shaputzfah to do it. Yo soy 
corazón me escapa, el sistema me atrapa con la trampa de dinero y poder. La verdad se revela, realidad se niega, queremos nada más que ascender queremos nada más que She drinks whiskey. 